Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Stars Like Us. I am your host, Aliza Kelly, and I am so excited to be here with a new friend from the internet, Charlotte, who is a spiritual and transformational coach. Charlotte is an airy sun, Pisces moon, Virgo rising. And Charlotte is a an activist and a speaker who is continuously asking how to live a life of service and longevity to overturn the status quo. In 2017, she created Get Free, a coaching practice and community where she helps people of color heal from oppression and create true truly liberated lives. Since then, she has worked with thousands of people in the field of spiritual development, helping them cultivate lives full of trust, confidence, intimacy, connection, mindfulness, and compassion with themselves and all their relations. It's always a pleasure to have another (laughs) Pisces moon on here. Charlotte, thank you so much for being here on Stars Like Us today. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me, Elise. And honestly, like I just love that I get to hang out with you. And thank you to everybody for it. We're totally hanging out. We're just hanging out. This is it. We're like getting, it's like tea, (laughs) cocktails, whatever. (laughs) But it's all being recorded. (laughs) Right. And just to like (laughs) say thank you to everyone for tuning in as well. Like this is a collective experience. It is a collective experience. And I think speaking to that, one of the things that right before we started recording, Mm -hmm. I was asking Charlotte to do is help me pronounce her last name. And then I realized that because this is a collective experience, this might be an opportunity for us all to learn how to, well, talk about name pronunciation, Mm -hmm. first of Mm -hmm. all, and how to hear things that aren't necessarily in your own language, and then how to work with someone and pronouncing them. Mm. So, I interrupted Charlotte when she was going to teach me how to do it. And I said, okay, let's save it for the podcast. So here it is for the podcast. So how, so how do we pronounce your last name? Yes. So for those of you who like have Vietnamese people in your lives, you'll probably know my last name spelled N-G-U-Y-E-N. It's the most common family name for Vietnamese folks. And um, it's a little complicated because in like the Western U.S.-based context, Um, Vietnamese people have tried to like anglicize it differently to make it easier for non-Vietnamese speaking folks to pronounce. And so people often get confused because they're like, how do I say it? Because people say it in different ways. And so I'm here to just clear the air um, and give a little (laughs) bit of a tutorial and not say it in the anglicized way so we can all just like get on the same page. So um, the way that I like to uh, instruct it is um, imagine that you're saying win, but with a question mark. So you're asking a question like when, when, yeah. When? When, like if you're really asking a question, like when, when? yeah. When? And then you're going to add an N before the win. So when, when? yeah, when? when, when, yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yes. When, 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 Beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I I am so in some of the exchanges that Charlotte and I have had on Instagram, mm. Charlotte, I, I've been blown away by this wonderful person. Mm. And I'm sure all of our listeners will be as well if you're not already familiar with Charlotte and her work and her energy mm. and just the content that she creates and produces. I mean, I, I a little bit of a tangent here, but you just posted something on Instagram, which was your calendar and the color coding system that you use to hold yourself accountable to living the life that you want to live. And I was completely blown away by it. My Capricorn rising was just like, oh my 
god like this is an option i didn't even realize this was a fucking oh. option so like delighted on you know just a on a capricornian <laughs> level but then also my pisces soul because you have mm. color-coded your rest color-coded your activism color-coded like your work color-coded just to keep yourself visual to see the visual balance in your life but mm. one of the other amazing things that you posted a few weeks ago was you learning vietnamese and you also then told me that you study different languages and i don't know if you would call yourself a polyglot but i would call you a polyglot because i'm just so incredibly inspired by language and people um exploring that it's so hard for me i don't know if i would i don't know how i would do with language in a non-educational academic environment but i was really bad i was not good at it when i was in school mm. uh, at all i was i think that there's like a little learning disability in there yeah. but there's also just like you know people learn differently and however it was being taught mm. i wasn't receiving so it's made language feel really scary to me oh. um yeah. even though i know how i th- i see its importance and i value its importance mm. yeah you know first of all just I'm just going to take a moment to like receive that because I feel a little bit of um, imposter syndrome aggravating in me just because I'm, <laughs> I'm just simply like, I just really see myself as a simple woman who's doing her best to reclaim and, and to learn. Um, it's, it's not always easy. You know, um, I, I also have a learning disability. I have an um, auditory disability where um, sometimes my brain doesn't process sound as information i just i just hear a sound and so language learning has not been easy for me either but it's like all, all i can hope to be is just model someone who's just doing her best you know so it's just um i i'm just gonna like receive that and like thank you for seeing me well thank you for sharing because it's really inspiring and it's really thought-provoking and i also do want to ask you more about this calendar uh. that you have set up for real, yeah. can you share with our listeners a little bit about how you structure your your calendar management? I was blown away by mm, this. Yeah, so I should preface something you should know about me. Um, I'm an Aries Sun, Virgo Moon. My Enneagram is in sorry, Virgo Virgo Rising. My Enneagram is in three, which is Achiever. It's very intense. Um, if left up to my own devices, I would spend all my time achieving, 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 and not from a place of because I feel beholden to like some capitalist machine, but because for Enneagram threes, for like Bodhisattva spirits like myself, our greatest fear is not living up to our potential. Mm. And for me, like if my purpose here is to help others get free, like the work never ends, right? And so for me, I, I have to have systems of accountability that keep me accountable to things besides my dharma and my purpose and my passion. And like that's really a lot of my my karma and a lot of the soul curriculum that I'm I'm here to work on is like in terms of my career and my my purpose, I've known that I wanted to serve since I was like 14. It's like not really been an issue. A lot of where my suffering comes from is like relationships and like mm. making friends and finding love and like a lot of karma around my family and like father wound, mother wound. And so I've often used my work in the world and my service and like fighting for justice as a sort of an escape oftentimes, you know, from some of the harder work of the heart. 
you know? So mm-hmm. what I, what I created in a system that I've been using for years is I color code my calendar based on different priorities in my life. So anything on my calendar, and I wish we could screen share something, but I'll, I'll do my best to describe this. So anything on my calendar that you see in blue and green is work, internal work, working on my business and client work. So internal work counts as well. Yes. Yeah. Oh, no, no. Internal work, meaning like finances, like internal, internal oh, business. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> internal business. Yes. <laughs> Anything that you see in blue and green is work. Anything you see in pink is self-care, rest, play. Yellow is social time. So if I have a date, I'll put it in yellow, friend date, social time, community time. Orange is anything around community organizing, volunteering. And gray is like adult stuff, errands, groceries, calling the landlord. Very gray. Very yeah, gray, totally right? Gray. <laughs> totally gray. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then anything purple is not quite self-care, but things that I'm really passionate about. So for example, learning Vietnamese. It's hard. I have to study, but mm-hmm. it's something that I'm passionate about. So it's not quite work. And it's not quite self-care, right? <laughs> mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. A creative practice for me is, is kind of like that for me. I don't, so sometimes I put like practice piano on there, you know, as, as, mm-hmm. as so self to personal development, let's just put it like that. So, you know, when I look at my calendar, I can literally see where the imbalances are. So if I look at my calendar one week and all I see is blue and green, which is work stuff, that's a signal to me, oh, you need to schedule time to go to the river. You need to schedule time to call a friend and ask her out to lunch. You need some more yellow. You need some more, pur- some pink in there. You know, sometimes there are weeks where, you know, it's a lot of pink. It's a lot of play and self-care. And it's like, okay, you're probably grounded enough this week to put a little bit of orange in there. Like, let's, let's do some organizing. Let's call some, some senators. Let's like re- really show up. For community this week, yeah. right? Because you're 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 likely more grounded in your body and your cup is more full, you know. Mm-hmm. So you know it, it's it's really rare <laughs> that all the colors on are in balance, but the weeks that there are, it's like I just feel so integrity with the life that I want to live, um, and it just feels great, you know. So I love sharing that with people, and and it, really, it's just an invitation for you to create your own accountability system for someone who looks at my calendar, who's like, really not, they don't, they're not in, they're not Capricorn-y. They might get really overwhelmed by that. Maybe you're naturally really structured already and you time everything by the hour and you, a good accountability system for you is to take colors off the calendar and create more white and blank space. Mm-hmm. But it's just yeah. what works for me, you know? <laughs> well, I, I really love, um, calendars and I, cause <laughs> I'm an astrologer and I love time and mm. I, you know, astrology is the study of time and Capricorns are the timekeeper. So my Capricorn rising loves the idea, like the theoretical idea of time and the application of it. But then I also, you know, I I think of the chart in through a lot of symbolism and poetry. And I really see the sixth house, which is where we would do, we would have a thing like a calendar as relative to the 12th house of psyche and spirit and transcendence and the soul and you know the the astral realm so it's this constant uh, accountability recognizing that our psychological well-being is going to be reflected in our calendar and our calendar is also going to influence our psychological well-being so we can't 
play around with it. You know, like we need to be serious about how we are spending our time and how we are imagining time to show up in our lives, because that is the portal into the unseen. And all we have to see is the calendar. So that has a lot of it has a it, it's its role is more important than just scheduling meetings. You know, it is the physical manifestation of what is going on in our internal reality. Sure. You know, and I, I feel like, you know, my little Piscean self, I really attract a lot of like artist energy in my life, a lot of dreamers, you know, and the thing that I keep seeing in myself and in, and in others who sort of have this archetype is like, I have this dream, I have this vision and like, I can't quite bring it out of the ether and into this plane. And it's like, well, well, what's your dream, right? Like, what's what's the goal that you're trying to make? I was working with a client, and and she was like, I've I've been wanting to build my website, and I'm like, okay, like, what's your system, you know? And she she like would literally just put work on website on the calendar. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, I, I know for me personally, if I put build website on the calendar, like, it's never going to get done, right? You no, know? there's there's this like breaking down of. And of, of course, this is just how I work. You know, maybe this doesn't work for everybody, but it's like, if I'm able to break it down into micro movements, like purchase Squarespace membership, <laughs> right? right? Like choose photos for your bio page. It's just, I can breathe. It just makes it more possible. Mm-hmm. And when we're dreaming up things like justice for all, if we're dreaming things up like defund the police, housing for all, like how are we breaking these things down so that it's not just a dream and something that we can actually see and feel and it's tangible. And we wake up in the morning and I'm like, this is the thing that I'm going to do to bring us closer to our greater liberation, you know? Right. Absolutely. (laughs) Yes. And I I think that that's, I think about capitalism a lot (laughs) and I think about, um, the propaganda and the brainwashing and how, I would say that, you know, on the other side of my Saturn return, mm. I have really started and, and now also having my work be my passion. It has clarified for me where what is true to me, you know, what is my true ambition? What are my true desires versus what has been, you know, just instilled upon me at being an American being raised in this environment, not not, both of my parents are artists. So it's not that they are, you know, they weren't really the prototype of the man in that way, Mm -hmm. but just by being going to school and like being in this world and, and seeing success look in different ways, shapes and forms, recognizing how the system really is set up for you to work yourself to the point of complete burnout and exhaustion and then what you aspire to is retirement, where you can finally relax and you can rest and all of your hard work mm. pays off. Mm. And this, uh, <laughs> the, the idea of shutting people down mm. for the majority of their life so that they can then have a few years that are beautiful um, is really sick. It's disgusting to me yeah. because, yeah. and first of all, and we also don't have any reverence for elderly people at all. So of that's course. also just a sham. It's total bullshit. Because uh, what ends up happening is that we just like say, oh, never mind. You can all die of a pandemic. And totally. We don't care. Totally. We have no collective responsibility for you because we don't see you as functional anymore because you don't work. Mm. But I think that mm. something, you know, it's, I really appreciate 
talking about the calendar, talking about work, talking about integrating work into our life in a thoughtful way, because Mm. of course work is important. And of course, making money matters Mm. and having, you know, feeling like you are, you know, feeling the success and the accomplishment and achievement are beautiful, very human things to Mm. want to aspire to. But where we can turn on or off that you know, the programming of capitalism, mm. I think, is in really what you're you're practicing in your calendar management. Mm. You know, there's something I love hearing that and something I the, the word that kept coming coming up for me and hearing you speak was the word integrity. Right. That like. Can, can you look at your life and feel in integrity with your choices? Right. The what what you're saying, your desire for yourself and for the world, like, is it matching up with our actions? You know, so I'm, I'll give an example. I'm in a place in my life where I'm actively calling in divine partnership. Oh my God. We have to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So right. When I look at my calendar and I'm, I'm, I'm saying that I'm calling in divine partnership, but I'm not seeing any yellow. Like I'm not seeing any effort to like socialize like and it's been weird with pandemic and so a lot of times that just happens (laughs) and it's it's being um, non-judgmental and equanimous about it and but it's it's like this happened way before pandemic where you know i would look at my calendar and there's like no yellow there's like no attempt being made to actually go and and create that for myself and there there wasn't a lot of um pink which means i wasn't cultivating the like receptivity Mm-hmm, and like the mm-hmm. openness to let love in. And so when I look at that, I, you know, I'm not going to be judgmental and be like, oh, you're such a bad person. You, you say you want these things and you're just so not disciplined. It's just information that lets me know, oh, okay, I'm, I'm not in integrity. Mm-hmm. And like, we're bound to fall out of integrity multiple times a day, but it's like alignment just takes one choice, right? It takes mm-hmm. one choice to be like, oh, okay. I was out of integrity this last week. Okay, cool. How can I come back to integrity next week? And like make time to go to the park and like make time to go to that ecstatic dance event where like I may find the love of my life. (laughs) So yeah, I'm really interested in here. And this is something that I work with my clients on quite a bit Mm. and something that comes up in my practice, which I'm sure also is reflected in yours, is the moral good or bad, right? Mm. And when something, and this is obviously when somebody asks about a transit or something astrologically, they're like, is it going to be bad? Is it going to be good? And it's like, <laughs> just is, you know, it, it, like what are good and bad terms? I don't know. <laughs> it just things are. And how do you practice not judging yourself for seeing that like, oh, no, I haven't allocated any time. I'm not in integrity and it's been two weeks that I haven't been in integrity or whatever language mm. makes sense for you. How do you practice acknowledging that without being critical, cruel, or judgmental to yourself in that? In that? Mm-hmm. Well, the first place I always love to start is recognizing that judgment, shame, negativity causes me pain. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I just really start there on a very like physical, elemental place. And in my life, I've just noticed that the more that I judge myself, the longer it takes. Like it, it's just a matter of energy efficiency. Right. Of, of course, I, I would love that there's like the path of we, we ought to love ourselves, like 
we're deserving and valuable and regardless of what we do yes there is that sort of philosophical aspect but there's also from a pure energy efficiency standpoint like the virgo in me is coming out it just doesn't work the the more we judge ourselves the longer it takes and i'm really grateful to have so much of my life been really informed by by buddhism and buddhist wisdom my my father's side is catholic and my mom my mom's side is um buddhist and there's a really beautiful tale in Buddhism called um, the double arrow, which is a, really a parable about suffering and judgment. And so like in life, we, we get hit by an arrow, right? Like suffering happens, pain happens, like we make mistakes or like heartbreak or something. And like, rather than us taking out the wound and caring for it and tending to it, we like shoot ourselves with another arrow. <laughs> and, and the second arrow is what judgment and shame is. Mm. Right. And so you think about it in that context, it just like doesn't make sense. Right. Why would you shoot yourself with another arrow when you could just take out the first arrow and tend to it? Mm-hmm. You know? And so, yeah, when there are places in my life where I feel out of integrity, when I don't feel um, like I've, you know, honored my word to, mer- to myself, or I fall out of commitment and discipline, I-, I just see that as signification of something that needs love. Like something that needs tending, something that needs acknowledgement, likely. Something that I have found as a really good practice for me for um, Mm. stepping away from judgment and shame for myself is humility. I found that to be such an, because it really is, Mm. it it offers a surrender to the situation and it offers an awareness of like, okay, this isn't what. This isn't where my heart was or this isn't what I wanted to be doing or, you know, I disappointed myself or someone else in my actions or in what I said or didn't say. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm I'm humble to that. You know, I surrender to that. But it's ultimately catching myself with the compassion. Yeah. And this ties, I think, really nicely into Mm. our theme for today's episode, which is the moon. We both have Pisces moon and <laughs> I would love to know your thoughts on having, how does having a Pisces moon feel for you? I mean, it's just, it's just the biggest refuge for me, Elisa, like really, truly. So I have a lot of, um, you know, I'm so grateful for my Aries sun and the ways that it's just given me a lot of like confidence and courage in this life. And at the same time, it's created a lot of like so much of my life has been in like the strong woman archetype. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and then like the Pisces moon comes in and like softens me. It puts out the fire in a way. It's, it's like, I can feel when I'm passionate about something and like the, the, the Aries is coming through, I can feel that underneath it is like this, like compassion and heart teaming up through the the ferociousness, through the like the protector, like don't fuck with my people, you know, kind of energy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. I I can I can feel like my heart is still there. You know, and I, I have a little bit of a ritual for myself every Friday after the work week is finished, where um and I'm like leading and serving and and like speaking and being very like outward facing, right? And so at the end of the week I just I put on the bath and like, there's no bath bombs, no fucking, no, mu- no, no music, no petals, no candles, nothing. It's just me and the water. And it just, 
I just sit there and I just let the water kind of like put out the fire a little bit, not forever, but ju- just for now, you know, um, I've always been really creative. I was a, a dancer at a very young age. I remember I, I was a part of the boys and girls club when I was seven. And at the time there was a, uh, a partnership that they were having with the LA city ballet. And my very first like ballet class, my teacher was like, this child is like very strangely expressive. I was like dancing with all of my, my heart. <laughs> Seven years old, right? And I mean, you know, when I was five, even though I didn't understand what was happening, I would, I would just like cry at weddings because I just had this sense that something deep was happening. Like there's always this sense of depth there that I think my my sweet little Pisces moon helps me, helps me access. So I love it. I'm so like, when I think about things I'm devoted to, like, I, I feel like I'm so, I'm so thankful for that aspect of myself that like Piscean energy. I just feel like such a devotee to it, you know, <laughs> I, I, like really spoken, like a true Pisces. Moon. <laughs> like <laughs> I, I, I am humbled by the Pisces, <laughs> the energy of Pisces. <laughs> I am a big fan. No, but I, I, I feel the same way. I mean, I'm also a Leo sun mm. and I, so we actually have, we're both fire, sun, earth, rising Pisces moon. Mwah. Chef's kiss. (laughs) And through my, I mean, this is, I think, the reason that I had to become an astrologer is because I was reading, you know, I, when you grow up and you're an Aries or you're a Leo, like you get a lot of feedback on that. You know, like people are like, oh, you're so bad. And like, there was a lot of me that is that. And like, there is, there's a lot of me that's bad. And then where I would, you know, where it would fall off is I couldn't find the explanation for the profound feelings and the depth of my feelings and like <sighs> the the pain of my feelings. And like, I didn't, I loved feeling and so much. And I also would never, my Leo son would never override my Pisces moon. Like <sighs> if I saw someone else want it needed to be the center of attention, I would, I will always give to the person who needs it more than I do. Yeah. I will always like pass the microphone. I will never, I never need attention if the situation, if I can sense that the situation that somebody needs it more than me, you know Mm. what I mean? And I, I, so it's, I surrender to it quite often and nothing I would read about Leo would ever account for that. It was like, you want, you want the spotlight no matter what. And I was like, well, I want the spotlight if it's comfortable for me to have it. I don't want it if I feel like it's going to cause pain for others, you know? Mm, um, and mm. that has was always in me, but without knowing and without having the language for it, I just didn't really understand what that architecture was. So the Pisces moon discovery and, and some of, I guess, our our listener, our longtime listeners will know that that was the first thing I found out about my chart beyond being a Leo. And it was what wrote me in. Mm, and like that to me, is like the leadership we need, right? Because I, you know, I, I, I do, re- I don't want to say regret, but there, I've always been a leader, um, but not always the good kind or the, the kind that I, that felt authentic to me because I do feel like our culture really does valorize the like me, me, me. And like leadership is like, look how great I am versus 
you know, what devotional feminine leadership for me is like, look how great you are. And like, that's what right. makes me totally, a leader. Totally. Right. Yes, yes, yes. Like my leadership was not grace filled, compassionate, empathetic. It was very much like take no preserves, survival of the fittest type of thing. And I just realized it just didn't work. You know, I really mm-hmm. suffered because of it and it didn't work for me. And it's certainly not working for our planet, our world, um, our mental health. Like we really need that, ooh, that, that, that softening, that grace, that like balance of, yes, I'm the protector and like, let it come from just the fiercest kind of love, you know? Right. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. I, one of the things that you posted recently that I have been ruminating on, because I think that you, and again, I, I clearly I'm just a fan, but just out here, fangirl. You said that you are always going to be on the side of the oppressed. Mm. And I don't know if you said it in those terms, mm. you may have said it more eloquently, but that's what I, how I received it. And mm. it, I was, it was just such a hard yes from me in response to that of like, that's, that's it. That's exactly, that's simply what it is, is that I will always be on the side of the team that needs help, that's being bullied, that's being oppressed, that is, that is in the position of needing more strength and needing more support. And Mm -hmm. I, when you said that, it actually was a really beautiful clarification of, just always, you know, it's and the really sort of funny <laughs> example of it is I remember as a kid, I, I did not watch sports. Nobody in my family watches mm, sports, mm-hmm. but I'm a New Yorker. So obviously, like you, Yankees are Mets. And it was always Mets, even though I have no idea what baseball is. I don't I couldn't tell you a thing about fucking baseball. But it was I was always a Mets fan simply because I think they were the underdog, you know, Uh. and they needed more support. And the Yankees, like, clearly, I just seemed like the Yankees had enough support. And I thought that the Mets needed more. So I was like, I'm a Mets through and through, even though I've, like, literally never been to a Mets game. (laughs) But it was just like, whenever I felt like there was already enough resources going into one area, my natural inclination is to then help where it's needed where I don't see that support already mm. taking place. Um, and I really love the way that you said that. And I would love if you, if you remember it, even if you could speak to um, how, what that means for you. Yeah. You know, I, first of all, I'm, I'm the same way. Like if there's like a series of GoFundMes, I'm like, okay, which one needs? <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> this is it, right? <laughs> totally. Um, you know, I, you know, before we came on the call, you know, you had asked me to sort of like reflect on, you know, what I believe, you know, and for me, like, I can't even help it. Like the, like, as soon as you ask me, what do you believe? Like the first thing I believe in justice, like I believe in the possibility of enough food, clean water, shelter, education, health care for everybody. I believe that love and service are the greatest paths to enlightenment. I believe in the beauty and joy of working hard to alleviate suffering um, in in ourselves and in the world. I think oftentimes because of the sort of ways that capitalism has seeped into activism, there is a lot of martyrdom, right? And a lot of strife and struggle that is found in the narrative of being a change maker and activist. But I, I really find there's so much beauty and joy in like devoting yourself, right? To 
alleviating suffering in yourself and in the world. Um, you know, I, I believe that every single thing is possible, like every kind of love that you can imagine, every kind of joy that you can imagine is possible the, the moment that we come together. You know, I believe that when we look at every single person, they have like everything that they have in us and more, that they're just as complicated, like just as nuanced, just as deserving, just as desirous and, and longing. And I, I just believe that we ought to treat them that way. You know, I, I believe that our job is to defend the dead and the dying and to liberate the living. And that if we can live with as much love and compassion and care and curiosity and humility and consideration as we can muster up in these, these bones of ours, that we really can create that more just, more beautiful world that we know in our hearts is possible. And for some reason, and you know, you're the astrologer here, maybe you can give some insight as to why that is. I have never been able to stray from that. No matter what is going on, you know, my family, they come from, I come from a family of refugees and I'm like from the Vietnam War and just like ever since I was young, like the, the association of like Vietnam and like suffering, like I have grew up seeing more images of my people dead and dying than images of my people like being happy. Like, I don't know what it is, but there's some, there's just something inside of me, this unshakable belief that we can create that world together. You know, at the end of the day, despite, in spite of all the madness in this world, I still believe that this body is the best place to be. Like this earth is the best place to be. There's only one of it. You know, there's only one of you. There's only one of me. Um, and in spite of all the madness in the world, like I believe there's, there's a crack in the matrix. You know, it's there. And for those of us who can attune to that opening, um, like really amazing things are possible. Um, I've seen it, you know, and, and the truth is that people need us. You know, uh, you're, you're really making me cry. Oh. <laughs> I don't even have any. I'm just Pi I'm just Pisces in, in this topic of moon. I'm just I'm just pure moon now. Oh. Just pure moon. Me too. I, I, I really feel it, you know, um, and, you know, it's so much of it has to do with like you and the space you're holding for me and just like who you are and just like, you know, I've, it feels so safe to be in that space you know? Um, but, but I just find that when you're on the path of awakening, it allows you to see more, you know? And when you see the kind of work and the kind of suffering, like the broken hardness that is in the world, it's like, I just don't have a choice, but to believe, mm. you know, that it's possible. And maybe it won't happen in my lifetime. You know, the work of justice didn't begin with me and it's not going to end with me, right? I'm just a small, the humility of just like, I'm just a little, I just have one part to play in the grand tapestry, right? That is, that is justice, that is freedom, that is liberation for all, you know, but there, I do believe there is so much freedom that can come from accepting that role, you know? <laughs> Why do you think? Here, hu major, huge, gigantic question. Oh boy! FYI, 
why do you think that humans oppress each other? Why do our, why does this species, I was actually just, you know, Pisces mooning, musing about this. I was playing with my dog. It was perfect. (laughs) And she is so alive. Like, you know, she's, she's so alive. She's such a soul. (laughs) She is such a personality. She has thoughts and feelings and moods and they change with the weather and they change with what's happening and she is so sentient and I have all I mean even having a dog feels so complicated to me because Mm. I feel like the relationship like it does feel symbiotic I Mm. do feel like we are you know like we do need each other I don't feel like I impose upon her but even the idea of having domestic animals Mm -hmm. feels weird to me as like it's like why am I doing this as a human being what as a human why are we as a species like going out and and Mm. and figure and feeling so superior to our natural world so I don't know if you have, I'm sure you've thought about this question and this is a massive question. So please don't feel any obligation to answer it right now. But I would just be curious if anything comes up for you on that topic of, of why humans do the things they do. Right. Oh, I mean, I don't know, Lisa, you know, if I had to guess, if I had, if I had to guess, my guess is that it would probably have to do with something around not being in our bodies because if we're not feeling like of course we'll destroy the planet like of course we'll like say something awful to somebody like of course we'll kill somebody if we can't feel Mm. you know there's something in there that I, I you know it's not fully developed but It's like when I think about the kind of suffering that we have been able to inflict on each other, you know, when I think about something like, you know, the worst of the worst, like slavery, right? What must you have had to kill inside yourself to be able to own and enslave another person? Like, what did you have to murder inside of yourself in order to be able to do that? And, and how did that then get trickled down? That sense of disembodiment and disassociation get trickled down like generation after generation. You know, yeah. there's something that it's like, it's, it's that empathy piece, right? It's like, if I really, if I see a piece of trash on the floor and I really take the time to feel the impact of what that might be like for that piece of trash to fall into the ocean and then to, to get caught in some, like some fish or some crab in the sea and like suffocate them. Like I'm going to pick up that piece of trash. Right. But if, if I just kind of look at it and I'm like not feeling, it's just like, Oh, it's just a piece of trash. Right. And like, I'm sure all of us have in your own way, like been on either side of that spectrum, I have definitely walked past a piece of trash, right? Because I, I just, I'm in a rush. I don't want to think about what the impact of that piece of plastic will be on the ocean. I'm just going to keep going, right? But if, if, if we're feeling, it's going to be really hard to not act, mm. you know? And if we're feeling, it's going to be really hard to, to enact any kind of suffering onto another person intentionally. Right. Because it's like, we're all deep feelers. I truly believe that some of us are just more awake to that than others, Mm -hmm. you know, so there's something around that. I don't know how that feels for you. 
I feel I, I completely agree. I think that I mean, in a lot of the um, the anti-racism work that I've been doing mm, and mm-mm. been taking very seriously, I came to the realization of how my relationship with my body uh, was a vehicle to white supremacy. Mm, mm-hmm. mm. My relationship with food and my body is very complicated. Of course. But on one level, it's also a uh, an embodiment of the standards of white supremacy and mm. me condemning my body and judging and shaming and and hating it for you know the majority of my life has been an extension of me practicing white supremacy on myself right yeah so yeah making that connection of like if i'm really going to embody this work i also need to start loving my body and i have to start practicing that even if it's not organic at first, because I have to overcome that in order for me to also in my body be able to hold new realities mm, and mm. and new compassion and deeper activism and deeper support for communities that don't look like me, mm, you know, mm-hmm. so I needed to first get right with me mm. in order for me. And it's, and all, you know, it's not like it's done, but it's the practice of getting right with me in order for me to be able to make sure that I am accurately, appropriately, and responsibly doing the work for for communities and for my community and for extended communities. Oh, I think yeah. that in a lot of ways, humans are just really afraid of dying. Mm. And it seems like, you know, to for, for humans to also inflict violence on each other, death on each other, yeah. it would seem like we are you know, we don't care about death and dying. Mm, mm. But I think that at the end of the day, exactly what you're saying is that we do disassociate, we do disconnect, we aren't present, we aren't embodied Mm. generation after generation, because it requires us to acknowledge our mortality Mm. to do that. Mm. And to just like kill willy nilly to just inflict suffering is a way for us to feel like, oh, this isn't so bad Mm. you know or i have control i have agency over this Mm. um that's just what came to mind as you were speaking just now sure sure and i love that and not love that but i've i resonate with that and fear of death and perhaps fear of the truth as well Mm. Mm -hmm. because if right if if the fear is like i'm scared of dying right and then we go on and flip plan on others like we, we are dead, right? Versus like, okay, I'm scared of dying. I'm going to feel, I'm going to go into that. Then my fear of death can actually be used as a teacher for how I can live my life better, right? right. Like the truth is our only true security, mm-hmm. right? And I, I see this a, a, a lot in my life and I'm really working this right now in in terms of what I shared earlier around finding partnership, right? It's like, okay, my fear is getting my heart broken. My fear is being alone and abandoned and neglected. So I'm going to block out love and like not go on a date on this person. It's like, wait, but if I block love out, I am for sure going to be alone and abandoned and like die alone, right? It's, it's like my true security is, is often not what I think it is. If, if that's the mm-hmm. thing, right? If like security is what I'm looking for, if safety is what I'm looking for, that's not the thing that's going to get me there. It's often mm-hmm. through, not not around. 
right, 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 right. So, you know. And I think that that same model, because, mm. you know, in astrology, it's microcosm, macrocosm. Yes, yes. That same model can be applied on this larger scale of sort of like life and death and, and, and living within those and thinking about those concepts, then in order to be alive, mm. you need to be able to recognize that you're going to die. <laughs> but if you can't recognize that you're going to die, and hopefully a beautiful death in your old age that's safe and healthy and, you know, surrounded by the memories of a beautiful life lived, then you're not going to be alive, you know? And that, I think, is the shutting off, is the, I'm so afraid of of the end that yeah. I'm going to deny myself even being present enough to be here. Because the idea of this not being forever is frightening. And like we can allow that to be a statement and still celebrate being alive and recognize death. Right. Like we can sort of like those multiple things could be true mm. without us needing to turn ourselves off completely in order to prepare for being turned off as an animated person in the way we know how to be alive. Sure, sure. And, you know, I, I can, I can hear it, right. That it's like, okay, if my fear is this, if my fear is death, if my fear is like finding love, it's like, oftentimes I find the framing of like facing your fears is really far away from people. You know, it's just, it's really, especially if you're not, your sort of natural constitution isn't like courageous. Right? It's, it's hard. And so for me, I'm, I'm actually not about like overcoming your fears, overcoming your shadow. I'm, I'm all about, I'm just a big fan of integrating it. Mm-hmm. Me too. You know, there's this, I, I, maybe you're familiar with it, like um, existential kink. It's this idea, yes, yes, right? Yes. Of like whatever, whatever it is that you're scared of, it's like, okay, make it, can, can you make it your friend? Can you befriend it? And can you actually use it as a way of accessing pleasure? And so, you know, oftentimes when I'm working with clients and they're like, this is the thing that I'm scared of. This is the thing that I'm afraid of. And I ask them, okay, you know, what, what are the symptoms? And they're like, oh, well, you know, my, my face is getting a little bit flush. Like my, my, my heart is beating fast. My palms are sweaty. And I'm like, it sounds to me like you're just turned on. Mm, I love that. <laughs> it just sounds to me like you're turned on. You know, that and sexy, that yeah. sounds sexy, right? <laughs> and it's like fear is often excitement without the breath anyway. You know, mm, it's just like, mm. oh, are you scared or are you just excited? You just turned off. Are you scared or are you horny? <laughs> <laughs> right? Right? Yeah, and so sure. I don't I don't need to face my fear, overcome it. Like I find that languaging is really like hyper masculine anyway. It is. You know? And it's part of the fucking the capitalism mm -hmm. machine. Right. <laughs> really. Where it's like, okay, well, wait, hold about like why don't we mm. and this is so much of what I mm. do with my client work and what I've been sort of, you know, is in my book and what I've been sort of shifting yeah. to try to create the language around, which is like, your chart is perfect. Mm. Your chart is fucking perfect. Everything is perfect about you, including the things that are totally imperfect. Yeah. Those are perfect, yeah. you know? And if we see the things that are, that we could feel stifled by or limited by, or that we see them as like these blocks or obstacles in our life, rather than say like, okay, my life mission is to overcome this. It's like, what makes you special for that? Mm. What makes you magic for that? You know, mm. you don't like public speaking? Fine. What do you notice when you're in the audience? Audience. Like, what are you aware of in your unique position that nobody else would be able to see because only you could be there? 
with your skills. You don't need to try to become someone who you're not. Mm. Oh, I love it, Elisa. I love, I love it. it. Okay, <laughs> let's pick a card for you, Charlotte. Okay. okay. Um, mm-hmm. I would love to pick a card for for your for romance for you. Mm. If if you felt comfortable. Oh with yeah, that. go for it. This is such a gift. Thank you. <laughs> a card for Charlotte's romance, sort of a an an action item, a prompt, a creative prompt, an idea, something we need to know. Let's let's frame it that way. Okay. So Tara, let's see what we need to know. Oh my god, this one popped out. <laughs> what a gift. It's the devil. <laughs> it's the devil. You know, the craziest thing, which you won't think is crazy at all, is that I had a feeling that we were going to see this card in our poll. And I I really, I mean, this is the, one of the sexiest cards you could pull on the topic of love. Mm-hmm. The devil card is like, it's literally the horniest, sexiest, like most I, lusty card imaginable. Mm. And what this card tells me to tell you is that on the topic of love, like leading with your sexuality, leading with your, you know, those carnal desires is not the wrong direction to take for you, Mm. that you can safely do that and find maybe a Capricorn because this is a Capricorn card. Maybe it'll be someone with heavy Capricorn. Maybe it's me telling you this because I'm Capricorn rising. But either way, I think that like leaning mm. into the the sexuality of it mm. is an interesting opportunity that this card is inviting us to explore. Mm. Thank you so much for that, because I've got to tell you, I've, I'm a survivor of many things. I don't you know, look like what I've been through. I think most of us don't. Right. Um, I think as a survivor, like really have had to go through my journey of reclaiming my sexuality, like owning it, loving it. And I, you know, went through that phase maybe about two or three years ago where like I was, you know, I took up pole dancing. I was like a stripper for a little bit and just like doing a lot of sexual embodiment, you know, posts on my Instagram, maybe like two years ago. And I feel like I've integrated a lot of that part of myself. And so I, it's not as expressive anymore. but I've, I've been feeling like, okay, she wants to come out again. Mm. <laughs> I was just thinking about it this morning. Um, Interesting. Of like the waxing and waning of those archetypes of myself. Like I love playing with these, you know, aspects of myself, like the saint and like the brazen woman. Right. <laughs> and I really, yeah, that. you know, and I, I moved to the mountains this year and I've been kind of like in my hermit kind of Buddhist monk mode, drinking tea. And and I feel like she's ready to come out. So yeah, you. and like, what does it mean to be a sexy monk? Yeah, right. <laughs> like sexy. You remember in like the two thousands when it was like everything was like that was the Halloween costume. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Sexy corn, like <laughs> sexy nun. <laughs> yeah, sexy monk. Ooh. Fascinating. Mm. Fascinating. Mm. And also like existing simultaneously. Sure. Like you sure. can have like a really sexy relationship that's also extraordinarily soulful and spiritual and aligned and in integrity and Mm. is also equally moved by changing the world and making this a more um, 
mm. inhabitable place for everyone. Mm. And you can have really hot sex. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like that, like all of those all things of can exist. And that that's the kind of embodiment that I, I think we all need right now. Um, and it's, it's like the way I like to look at it is it's like having a keyboard and you want to not just play one note on the keyboard, right? It's like the whole time of your life kind of banging away at that one little key. Like you want to tiptoe across the whole keyboard, right? And be like, ah, oh, okay, the devotional Buddhist nun and like, you know, the brazen woman. And, and for me, the yummy part is like being able to play with that moment by moment you know, the mm-hmm. symphony of them all coming together. So oh, love that. You're speaking love to that. my Pisces moon heart again, <laughs> music, music, music. Oh. The last question I have for you, Charlotte, mm-hmm. is how has magic shown up in your life? I love this question. Um, you know, I, 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 I mentioned before I came from a, a Buddhist family. And so their, their approach to spirituality has always been very like, you know, meditation, direct experience is the path to enlightenment. And so, you know, using other, other than like astrology and tarot, like it, it took me some time, you know, to really invite that into my spiritual practice. And so I think I first started to understand magic on this very basic elemental plane and understanding that magic lives within the body. Mm-hmm. Um, Spring Washam, she, she's a, a beautiful black Buddhist teacher. She wrote a book called the fierce heart and she talks about the body and like, she calls the body, the tree of life and all the incredible wonders that are in the body and how the body is this like storehouse of all this wisdom and DNA and like everything we've ever learned, like the cosmos is in the body. Um, and this, this show is called stars like us. And, you know, someone, someone once sent me this beautiful image of a star, this huge star, and they were like, oh, Charlotte, I found this really beautiful picture of you, right? <laughs> and I was like, wow, it's it's so true. It, it was one of those close-ups with the Hubble. And oh, I was cool. yeah, I was like, wow, look at that star. And then I wrote back, no, it's a picture of all of us. You know, that's, oh my God. <laughs> right, it's science. It's true. It's our bodies, our, our elements. That's why being with the earth often reminds us of that deeper truth. You know, the water, the air. They're mostly made up of water. If we were to ask literally a quantum physicist, they were to look at this body, what would they find? Like moving particles, like a form that appears and then at an unknown time disappears, right? Like a star. Isn't that fascinating? Like we appear in this mm-hmm. format and we experience it in this reality. And then at an unknown time, it all goes back to the earth itself, just like a star. And um, for me, when I was a little girl, I often visited my family's um, village in Vietnam, Southern Vietnam. And I just, I would love to spend a lot of time in the jungle and with the river and the trees. And I, I love the sound of cicadas just roar oh, so loud. And I just love to be where there's like a canopy of green and I can barely see the sky. And if you've ever been in the rainforest in the Amazon or just places like Southeast Asia, where it's just like, wow, this is creation. It's just creation on creation and just growing and growing, and growing. And everything is alive. Everything's moving. What you think is a rock is actually a frog. And, you know, everything is upside down and alive. And it reminds it, it just reminds me of me in so many ways mm-hmm. um, that we have this aliveness that we're bringing back, you know? Um, so magic shows up for me when I open my heart 
and come back to my body and just let everything in. Um, because the body for me releases a deeper logic of the spirit. Mm. You know, it's like, like right outside my window is, is, um, like a breeze moving through the tree outside my door, you know? And if it's like slowing down, that allows me to hear the language of what it's trying to teach me, you know? And I think often we don't listen long enough or deep enough to hear the magic. I might listen and say, oh, well, I don't hear anything. So we're just leaving. Like, it's not real, right? And we just go on to the next thing. Um, And often just as we're leaving, that's when the teacher is starting to speak. So yeah, that's, that's how magic shows up for me in, in the trees and the little whispers. You are, you are so fucking magic. You are, you you are, you are the embodiment of magic. So that actually all checks out, comes full circle. (laughs) There it is. (laughs) That's so sweet, Elisa. You know, cause to be, to be honest, I, I often, you know, you know, my, my, my gift is in like working with this plane, you know, it's like that bodhisattva energy of, okay, you, you came to earth to alleviate suffering. And so a lot of my work is on this plane. And so I, you know, I have so many friends in my life who really, they can tap into other realms and talk to beings. And, and so, you know, I often from a sort of ungrounded part of me, get a little jealous, you know, but then, you know, I remember, ah, okay, the magic is here. You know, the magic mm-hmm. is here and all the things that are dancing inside of our bodies and the earth speaking to me and um, hearing that coming from you is really it really pleases my heart and it helps me feel seen so thank you well I really thank you thank you so much for your time today for your (laughs) for your magic for your wisdom for your insight for your poetry I this has been such a a a true joy to connect with you I, I a really you're a very special person and it is such an honor to have you on this podcast. And I would love, and I know all of our listeners would love to know where they can follow you and how they can continue to support and engage with your work. Oh, Eliza, thank you so much for you and just how you're creating a platform for people to be seen and heard and particularly people who like don't often um, get to be seen and heard. I, I see you, you know, um, and the work you're doing with and on and for yourself is just creating ripples, you know, so please know that. <laughs> You've got to stop it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Lose my mind. <laughs> oh, I really see you as kindred and, you know, can't wait to see where the path take, takes us, you know, as, I know, as friends. Likewise. Right? Um, but yes, to answer your question, I would love to stay connected and be in community. Um, whether it's online, you can find me on my website, www.getfreewithcharlotte.com or on Instagram at Lotus in a Sea of Fire. I also have a monthly newsletter where I share a lot about this work around freedom and embodiment and collective healing and just what it means to be a human at this moment in time. So I just welcome you to join me there if that calls to you. And um, yeah, just wishing everyone a beautiful rest of your year. Um, May this eclipse season serve you well. And just hopefully we'll be hearing from all of you or connecting with you all somehow. Thank Thank you. you so much.